0: If you got your Bibles, open to Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews chapter 10, and then Genesis chapter 47. So new service times and Waterfront Church's birthday coming up. Um, I need to apologize to you guys as we come into this. So I've been, uh, I've looked back, and I've told you this Joseph series has like gone on forever, okay? So totally understand. Um, I've been trying to be a good pastor to you, but there's just so much richness. So I went this last week, and I started to look back on when we started the series. October the 6th is when we started going through the life of Joseph. October the sixth, people, think about how different the world was on October the sixth. And then all of a sudden, here we are. Uh, The other crazy part about this series is I went through and counted how many passages we've looked at. This is week 34, all right, for this Joseph study. So first of all, I am very, very sorry uh, that you've had to endure this, but we've made it through so much at this point. Hopefully these are the the, the extra innings passages that we can go through and maybe just maybe God has something very specific he wants to share with you because a lot of these passages that we're studying today and and in the weeks to follow are passages you normally wouldn't get to read uh, or study in a service like this uh, because it takes a lot of time to build up all the history for it. So with that being said, Let's look at Hebrews chapter 10, and we're going to start in verse 23 as a lead-in for Genesis 47. Here's what it says. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23. The writer of Hebrews says, let us hold unswervingly, underline and highlight that word unswerving. It's one of the only times it's used in all of scripture. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess, for he who promised us, look at this, is faithful. He who promised us is faithful. In this passage, we find that when it comes to the he, the he is Jesus, we can hold on to him for good with every bit of uh, power and might that we have because he is worthy, he is faithful, and God will keep his promise to us in Jesus. Have you ever held on to something for too long before? All right, you ever held on to something for too long before? There are all sorts of figurative things, like a job, like a relationship sometimes it is a physical thing that you hold on to that you grip and that you can't let go of and because of that it ends up causing you problems later the best example that I could think of with this happened when I learned to water ski for the first time how many of you in this room have ever water skied before raise your hand there you go a bunch of us right so here's the deal the you have to in order to water ski you have to have skis a rope and a boat all right the boat is the one that's expensive and someone has to like actually know how to drive a boat. I grew up in West Texas, there was hardly any water, and so finding a friend with a boat was like a real feat. I mean, it just didn't happen very often. So because of that, I'll never forget a man named Tim Gristey, who may be watching this feed. Tim Gristey owns some dry cleaning businesses in Lubbock, Texas, and uh, Tim reached out and he said, hey, I want to take you water skiing for the first time. I thought that was amazing. I'm in the seventh grade at that point, and uh, he said, I want you to come and uh, water ski with my family. We want to teach you how to do this. Well, there was another piece to that story that needs to be told. I had a crush on his daughter, all right? Okay, his daughter. However, I was a seventh grader and she was a senior. Okay, in fact, if you remember back, any of you who have been seventh grade boys at one point in here, you have a crush on every senior girl, right? Okay, but I had a crush on uh, on his daughter, and so the, no chance possible. Uh, but I had a crush on his daughter, so I'll never forget. We're going into that. I tell you that to say I had a real desire to do good, to look cool. All right, in this moment, because I had a crush on this girl that was going to be in the boat, who I had no chance possible with. So I'll never forget. Tim gets me in the water, puts my legs up. And what you do is you put your skis in between the rope because you don't want to get tangled up in the rope. You hold onto the rope, but you trust your life jacket and just kind of lean back and you wait until they floor it in the boat and you try to stand up, keep your skis going straight. But I have never known anybody who got up the very first time when they were learning how to ski. So Tim says to me, Mr. Gristy says to me, he says, now son, there's going to come a point when you need to let go of the rope if this doesn't go well. And I said, Mr. Christie, when will I know that moment, when is that moment gonna happen? He goes, son, you'll know, don't worry, you'll know. So of course, I'm incredibly stubborn, many of you know that, I'm incredibly stubborn. So I'm holding on to the rope, and then he says, are you ready, he gets back in the boat, I give him a thumbs up, and then all of a sudden, he floors it, and the boat begins to go, and almost immediately, My legs shoot back behind me. The skis shoot off into the water. And at that point, what are you supposed to know to do? You're supposed to let go. But instead of letting go, I thought, I don't know, honestly, I don't know what I thought. It was like, I'm going to like barefoot go up on the water like I'd seen on TV, right? And I'm thinking to myself, if I just hold on, I will look cool for that senior girl in the boat, right? And I'll be up there on the water. But here's what happens. As I'm holding on, all of a sudden, I start taking on water into my face and I can't breathe. And so the water's coming at me. You would think that that would be enough to let go at this point, but no, no, no. I continue to hold on. So I'm grabbing on and then I think to myself, if I can just put my legs underneath me, maybe I can get it. But then my legs shoot out from underneath me and then what happens next? I lose my swimsuit. (laughs) Suit's gone. I'm taking on water. I can't breathe. Any normal person... Would give up at that point, but not me. I continued to hold on. I don't know what I thought. Like all of a sudden me pantsless was going to come out of the water and bare feet and he was going to go, now there's a man, right? I don't know what, I don't know what I wanted. I just kept holding on. So finally, finally, I let go. And then I'm in the water and they had to give me a little boy's swim trunks uh, that they had brought as an extra just in case he had beat himself. And so all that to say, it was definitely not the day that I thought it was going to be. Now listen, when we hold on to things too long, sometimes we take on water and it hurts us. Sometimes it takes our shorts and it embarrasses us greatly. And then sometimes we just hold on because we think that it's somehow going to get better. But in some cases, it doesn't. Listen to me. The writer in Hebrews says, the one thing, the one thing, the one thing that we can hold on to unswervingly with every ounce of our might and never let go of is Jesus. Why? Because he who promised us is faithful. You see, the water was not faithful to me. You see, the rope was not faithful to me. The boat was not faithful to me. But Jesus will always be faithful to us. And the writer reminds us no matter how deep, dark, or difficult this world becomes, we can hold on to him because he who promised is faithful. The passage that we're going to study today, by the way, if you're taking notes, write this down. Thanks to Jesus, we are never hopeless. Thanks to Jesus, we are never hopeless. There is always a place to grip. There is always a place to grip to God's faith. In study today, we're going to talk about holding unswervingly to God's faithfulness. In fact, if you're taking notes, our big million-dollar question, how do we hold unswervingly to God's faithfulness? How do we hold on to him? How do we cling to that hope that we profess? How do we trust in God's faithfulness? We get a a full understanding of that through the passage of scripture in Genesis chapter 47, verses 28 through 30. I don't know about you, but this, uh, this Joseph series has been super eerie because it has kind of followed the phases of the pandemic and the things that we've gone through as we've studied about this. And again, that we started this on October the 6th is also super crazy because it's followed along the path of things that we didn't even know were going to happen. Originally, this was supposed to be a 12-week study. That's all we were going to do. I thought that we would start something new towards the end of January, and the Lord has extended it piece by piece. And so maybe, just maybe, the Spirit has something very specific He's wanting to say to you today as well. But the passage that we're going to read, this is so interesting. It's after the pandemic as they begin to look to the future in the aftermath of the economic turmoil that they've been in. The pandemic's over. There's been seven years of famine. And then all of a sudden Jacob and the people of Israel start to look back and they go, we survived this, but we are now slaves in Egypt. We've survived this, but we can't go home. What are we going to do? Now, look at what happens in Genesis 47, and we're going to start in verses 28 through 30. This is a little bit of Jacob's story, but Joseph is clearly involved. Jacob is Joseph's father. It says in verse 28, now, Jacob lived in Egypt, look at this, 17 years, and the years of his life were 147. When the time drew near for Israel, that's another name for Jacob, to die He called for his son Joseph and he said to him, if I have found favor in your eyes, put your hand under my thigh. Underline and highlight, put your hand under my thigh and promise that you will show me kindness and faithfulness. Stop right there for just a minute. Now this idea of put your hand under my thigh is very interesting. What this happened in the ancient world, put your hand under my thigh, meant we're about to have a very serious conversation. This was a symbol. That the Father has said to him, "I need your full and undivided attention. Put your hand under my thigh. Put your forehead to my forehead. I need to know that you are not distracted by anything else that's going on. I have got ADD, just so you know. I mean, that's surprise, surprise. Okay, um, that preaching with those windows open. I mean, I'm telling you, is difficult. I'm just, I just want you to know. Some of you are like, oh, you think that's difficult? Try listening to you. All right, with those windows open, it's tough, right? Here's the picture. Jacob says, "There you go. We got a guy walking. We all looked at." him. All right? Now here's the deal. He says, put your hand under my thigh. He said, I need your undivided attention. What I'm about to tell you is super important. In our family, we do something called nose talk. Nose talk with my kiddos means we go forehead to forehead, nose to nose. And what we do is we lean into each other and we go, okay, I need your undivided attention. Stare me in the eyes because what I'm about to tell you is very important. That's what Jacob does here. Here's why. Jacob is about to make a request of Joseph that is a very, very heavy request. Look at what he says here in verse 30. It says, or excuse me, into verse 29. Do not bury me in Egypt, but when I rest with my fathers, carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. Stop right there for just a minute. His fathers are buried in Canaan, the land that they came from. But what Joseph has just been asked of by his father is not just for funeral arrangements. Read between the lines on this. What Jacob has just said is, son, we made it through the pandemic. We made it through the economic crisis. We made it through the time of depression and difficulty. But we are now slaves in Egypt. He looks at him and says, we have a time of economic prosperity. He says, make sure you remember God's promise. Make sure you don't forget that all of this was God pushing us towards that moment when we will be a chosen people, a great generation, and when we will have our own Egypt. Jacob says, don't forget what we are all about. Don't forget what we're working for. Don't forget the promise that God has made us. And he says to Joseph, hand under my thigh, nose talk, nose to nose. I need to know that you will hold on to God's promise and you will trust him. That you won't fall into prosperity and forget the promise that God made you. Now listen to me. If there's not a more timely message for our country, I don't know what it is. We're having the compromise all around us. We're having to make decisions that are so difficult for our very survival, listen to me, just like Joseph in his day and time. But Jacob goes and says, don't forget Yahweh. Don't forget the defining characteristic of our people that we have a promise of God that we will be a great nation, that he is the one we trust, not Pharaoh, that our culture is grounded in him and faith in him, and that we are not subjects of Pharaoh. We're not subjects in Egypt. If you're taking notes, how do we hold unswervingly to God's faithfulness? Number one, we regularly speak of God's promises. We regularly speak of God's promises. Jacob says, don't forget what I taught you. Bury me with my fathers. Don't assimilate into this new culture. Remember the promise that God has given. In this city, I think more so than any other place I've ever been, we kind of hide that side of ourselves. And we do it under the guise that we don't want to offend anyone. But your faith is something that you should absolutely speak about because it's a defining characteristic of who you are, especially when it comes to your family, to your best friends, and to those that you would truly consider to be neighbors. Just for the record, Coming from the South, I heard this over and over again because I grew up in Texas. Coming from the South, I heard, when you go up North, those Yankees don't like talking about religion and politics. You ever heard that before, that statement? Can I tell you what's interesting? What I found is it's not a North and South issue. In a lot of cases, you were trained the same way I was growing up. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Here's the problem with that. We've translated that even onto the people that we love And there are some of you with incredibly deep, profound faith. But because you feel like it could be divisive, you don't share any of that faith with the people that are closest to you. And if you don't do that, then every ounce of faith you have, even if it's spectacular, it dies with you. Jacob says to his son Joseph, bury me with my father. Bury me in the land of Canaan. Don't forget the promise that Yahweh made to us. Even though we are here in Egypt during dire times, don't forget who you really are and who our descendants really are. Make sure you make the exchange of faith to them. One of my uncles named Tom White, Uncle Tom was a really special man. I got to do his funeral this last year we used to get together for Thanksgiving. And uh, whenever I smell turkey, even if it's not Thanksgiving, I always think of my uncle. Uh, My mom was the youngest of four sisters, is the youngest of four sisters, and also has an older brother. And each of those kids had at least three kids, and so, I mean, it is a circus anytime we all get together. And so, uh, usually it was around 70, 80 people that got together uh, every Thanksgiving. And we usually would do it at my Uncle Tom's house, and I'll never forget. What he would do is my uncle, before we could eat, he would have us circle up to pray. And uh, this was what was crazy, too. Um, the food was all cooked, and because there were so many people, there were like three turkeys that they had cooked in the oven, and the smell was so just amazing. You had my, uh, the uh, uh, green bean casserole, you green bean casserole fans, just green bean casserole and then broccoli rice casserole, the cheesy broccoli rice casserole. Oh, it was so good. All that food and that smell. And uh, because I was a kid at the time, the kids got to eat first. And so, I mean, we were ready to just run through that as long as you didn't go through the line with your mom, you know, you could skip out on all the vegetables you didn't want and make it through. But here's what would happen. We'd be ready to run through that line and my uncle would say, circle up. And he used to have us go uh, girl, boy, girl, boy. And so we'd go all the way around, 80 people in that living room, all the way spilled out into the street. And we'd hold hands and my uncle would say, is there anyone who has something that God has done in their lives this year? And he would offer us a chance to speak about what we were thankful for and then he would hold our hands, he would pray over us, and even though he wasn't the oldest, it was his house, and he was the one speaking on behalf of the family. Can I tell you, all I have to do is smell turkey, and I can remember that beautiful spiritual lesson that my uncle had sowed into my life. Do you speak about Almighty God? Or are you the one during this era that everything that comes out of your own mouth is fear and trepidation and concern and then is what's trapped in your heart worry and fear and anger and a belief that the world is in complete chaos. I want to tell you a secret today. You are listening to you. Let me say that to you again. Do you realize you are listening to you Whenever something is trapped in your heart or trapped in your mind and then it somehow makes its way out your mouth and it's not of Almighty God, you are listening to the words you have to say and then you affirm that fear at the same time. When what we have within us is truth and joy and peace and clinging to Almighty God, when those words come out of our mouth, even in times of uncertainty, it reaffirms and nourishes the faith that is within us. If you're taking notes, write this down. There is a direct connection to the words of your mouth and the faith in your spirit. Let me say that again. There's a direct connection to the words of your mouth and the faith in your spirits. Save your spot in Genesis. And now flip over to Psalm chapter 19. And we're going to look at verse 14. A fantastic verse to memorize. The psalmist says this, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart, underline the meditations of my heart, be pleasing in your sight. Look at this. Oh Lord, my rock, underline my rock, and my redeemer. Stop right there for just a minute. He takes it a step further. The psalmist here says, Lord, the words that come out of my mouth must be pleasing to you. But he also says, the meditations of my heart. Meditations means something that you are really processing with your mind and in your spirit. The things that you are internal." The psalmist says, May the words and the internalizing in my heart, may it be things that are pleasing to you. Why? Because God, you are my rock in uncertain times. And guys, this is the third election year that Waterfront Church has been in existence. Can I tell you what happens every two years around here? It's fear that grips the city. You know why? Because most of you, your job is going to shift in one way or another. It could go up, it could go down, it could go sideways, or maybe just maybe it could stay the same. But everything seems so uncertain. You tie into that a pandemic, an economic crisis, struggles with family and with health, and just normally normal being an American and hanging out in this city. And I'm telling you, it causes such uncertainty that what we do is the words of our mouth and the meditations of our heart are worry, 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 fear 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 and when we do that guess what we're doing we're whittling away and infecting our faith we're whittling away at what God can be doing within our hearts and within our lives we have to trust him that he is the one who holds the future it's the only way you're going to survive in the city you got to trust that he's the one guiding your steps Harvey is that a good word every two years this happens some of you might say well this one's extra crazy we heard that four years ago And you know what? We heard it two years ago because our church is closer to the house side of the Capitol building than to the Senate side. We heard it before. This is how it goes. The remedy's the same. The antibiotic's the same. You gotta trust God. You gotta trust that he who made you will not let your foot slip, that he's the one who is guiding your steps it begs the question are the words are your words and meditations furthering your faith or infecting it are your words and meditations furthering your faith or infecting it if all you do is ponder and worry about the future don't be surprised when that worry makes its way out your mouth let's keep moving look at what happens next genesis 47 and now let's look at verse 30 Again, he says, bury me when I rest with my fathers uh, in Egypt. And he says, and carry me out of Egypt and bury me where they are buried. Now look at this. The last part of this verse is so important. Joseph says, I will do as you say. Now stop right there for just a minute. We find out in Genesis chapter 50, Joseph is going to have to ask Pharaoh specifically if he can have off from work to go do this. And listen, Pharaoh at this point thinks that if he lets the group that he's enslaved go, that they're going to revolt against him, and that they, because Joseph's relatives have been fruitful and have multiplied, that they're going to form a great nation to march against Egypt. And so there is all this political ramifications where Joseph can't leave. And for Jacob to look at him and say, hold on to Yahweh, promise me that you will further that promise that God has given to us, that one day we will be a great nation and we will have our own place. We will be in the promised land. Joseph is sitting there going, dad, you don't know what you're asking, but I will do it. You can't do this on your own. You are handing the baton off to me and trusting that I will run the leg of the relay race and impart to the next generation that this is who we are and this is what we will do. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do we hold unswervingly to God's faithfulness? Number one, we regularly speak of God's promises. And number two, we realize that God's reach is beyond our lifetime. You realize that God's reach is beyond your lifetime. Jacob cannot bury himself in Canaan. He's 147 years old. He can't even travel to Canaan at this point. He looks at Joseph and says, son, I've done everything I can. Put your hand under my thigh. Look me in the eye. Let's have a nose talk. This is so important. I need to know that you're going to do everything you can to hand this dream off, to hand this promise off, to hand the relationship we have with Yahweh off to the next generation. And Joseph says, dad, you raised me the way that he crafted our journey up until this point, the way that he's crafted the, uh, the, uh, the survival of our people to this point, he says, Dad, of course I'll do it. I'll do everything I can. I feel like I understand reach better than most people because I have really short arms, okay? I do, Some of you heard me talk about this before, but we used to do a uh, a youth camp and we would say at youth camp, fingertip length for, uh, for shorts, you know, I could wear a bikini every day. All right. I, I'm built like a hobbit. I have this huge torso, and I've got little bitty arms, and I've got little stubby legs. I always will like sit on the plane. You don't know, have to pay extra for leg room, man. I, I'm telling you, I got more room than, than I could use. I'm built like a hobbit. I got big hairy feet, okay, and I've, I've got these just little bitty limbs. I'm kind of built like a gorilla. All right, they nicknamed me Tyrannosaurus Zach years ago, okay? I just got these little arms, so I'm three inches taller than my wife Autumn. Okay, but when we stand side by side, she reaches six inches taller than my reach. Her whole hand goes above my hand. And so I tell you that to say this, I I understand reach. When I had an apartment back before we got married, I intentionally did not put anything in the high shelves because I can't reach them. And so it was always humiliating for me to climb on the cabinet, you know, just to get a can of green beans you know, out of the cabinet. Some of you understand what I'm talking about. Then I got married. Autumn has six extra inches of reach on each hand, right? And so regularly in our house, I will say to her, hey, can you use your big long arms and grab that for me? It's a true story. When she and I got married, all of a sudden, a whole bunch of more cabinet space, cabinet real estate became available, in my apartment. Now listen, my mom is 4'11 and 3 quarters inches tall. She will tell you regularly she felt like 5 feet was tall and it was cruel that the Lord listen, kept her back by just, again, a quarter of an inch, all right? She married my dad who's over 6 feet tall. Again, all of a sudden, the cabinet space opens up. Some of you are like, I'm tall, how does this apply to me? Because if you live in the city and you don't have a vehicle and you wanted to buy a piece of furniture or move at some point, what do you have to do? You gotta be real nice to that person who owns a truck. You know what I mean? You gotta have that friend that can help you move, have that friend who's got a car, so that they can extend your reach and help you get that new piece of furniture or help you move your stuff from one place to another. Listen to me. When it comes to God, we have such short arms. And guys, at some point, listen to me. You will die. It's the way it goes. Whether it's by corona, by old age, some freak shark accident, I don't know. But at some point, it is given unto man once to die and then comes judgment. At some point, you will die. But there is one other big piece of truth to remember. At some point, God will win. That is the other hard truth of this world. And when he does, we want to be connected to his reach and not to our own. Can I tell you why that's a hard truth for people in D.C.? Because you are all really, really smart people. You are all incredibly capable. You have to be to live here and survive here. And so the thought of you not being able to do it for yourself confuses you sometimes. It stirs fear because we realize the limitations of our short. There is no shelf he can't get to. There is no place he can't find us. There is no thing he cannot do. If you're taking notes, write this down. See past the volatile moment into the glorious future. See past the volatile moment into the glorious future. Some of you work in the stock market, and you understand just because it's volatile today does not mean that it will be volatile forever. You have to look at things objectively, otherwise you will drive yourself crazy with all the ups and downs of the day-to-day trading. It begs the question, are you settled in your understanding of the future? Are you settled in your understanding of the future? You will die, and God will win. Those are the two things that are absolutely certain for us. Let's keep moving, and we'll call it a day today. Look at Genesis 47, and now let's look at verse 31. Again, Jacob starts off, put your hand under my thigh. This is very important. Bury me with my fathers. Bury me where they're they're buried. Don't forget the promise that Yahweh made to us. Impart it to future generations. I will do as you say. Joseph says back to him, verse 31, Swear to me, Jacob said, and then Joseph swore to him. Now this next part of the verse is one that makes the whole passage very, very special. Look with me, if you will, and underline these last this last part of the verse. It says, and Israel, that's Jacob, and Israel worshiped, as he leaned on the top of his staff. Circle, highlight, and underline and Israel worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. What you have in this moment is this beautiful picture of Jacob saying, I need you to promise me that you won't give up our culture. I need you to promise me that we're going to cling to Yahweh that you will continue uh, to to teach God's promise. I need you to promise me that and then he looks at his son and Joseph goes, yeah dad, of course, you raised me this way it's going to be difficult, but I promise that I'll do this to you and all of a sudden Jacob goes swear to me son, swear to me, it's himself Saying, I cannot stress this enough. Swear to me that you will do this. And Jacob, or Joseph says, yeah, of course, Father. Of course I will do this. And then all of a sudden, you've got the old man. And it says he leans on his staff and he cries out in worship to God. Don't miss this. It's Jacob going, well, then that's all I can do. Because he's done all he can do. He finds rest even though he is old and he is able to worship even though he has no assurance other than God's word that the promise will be fulfilled. If you're taking notes, write this down. How do we hold unswervingly to God's faithfulness? Number one, we regularly speak of God's promises. Number two, we realize that God's reach is beyond our lifetime. And number three, we trust that in his time, God will do it This is not Jacob looking at Joseph and going, well, then I believe in you, son. I believe you're going to do it. No. The reason he can lean on his staff, rest and find peace with God and go, you know what? It's going to happen. I can worship almighty Yahweh. is because he believes that God is going to do it through his son Joseph, through his 11 other sons that he's taught and discipled and told how to follow Yahweh, how to follow almighty God. He then can lean on his staff and go, you know what? I've done all I can do. Lord, you can take me at any point because I trust that you are the one who holds the future. It's the reason we sing the old hymn because he lives. Because he lives, I can face tomorrow. Because he lives, all fear is gone. And I know, oh, oh, he holds the future and life is worth the living. What? Just because he lives. When we hold unswervingly to the truth of Jesus Christ, there comes a point when you have to decide, do I trust it or do I believe in my Tyrannosaurus arms? Do I believe in my reach for my simple lifetime or do I truly trust that God is the one guiding the ship, that he's the one who's in charge of the future, not just for me, but for my kids, for their kids, and for the world that we believe behind even further after that? There are some of you in here today and you are really struggling to find rest. Rest. Can I tell you why I've been through it myself? Because you don't really trust God, has it? You're so smart, you're so capable that you don't really trust that God is the one guiding the ship. In this city, we don't want to be wrong. I think that's probably our biggest fear as a group. We don't want to be wrong. We don't want to be on the losing side. In the end, how did Jacob find rest? He does all he can. And then he gives it to God. There are some of you that came in today and you may have had a powerful worship experience when you were younger. And you walked in today and you went, what is it, Lord? I'm just not connecting. And maybe it's not just today. Maybe it's an extended period of time. Lord, I'm just not connecting with you the way that I used to. The answer is in this passage. You got to trust him. You got to lean on your staff and go, you know what? God's got this. All worrying is gonna do is stir up dissension and chaos in my spirit. I've got to let him have it. If you're taking notes and you don't take anything else away from today, I hope that you'll take this. Are you ready? Our ability to rest and worship are directly tied to our faith in Almighty God. Our ability to rest and to worship are directly tied to our faith in Almighty God. One last little story and I'll close today. Sometimes we can go through things in our own life that can cause us to carry over that struggle and that baggage into our relationship with God. I don't tell this story very often. In fact, I don't know that I've ever told it here, but I'll share it, I'll share it with you today. Uh, years ago, I dated someone and we'd been together a long time and I went on a trip for athletics and got word on the trip. I kept trying to call her and she wouldn't answer and it turned out that she had cheated on me while I was gone on that trip. Some of you have been in that circumstance on either side and here's what happened. I called and I called and I called and then when I didn't get a hold of her, I had this feeling in my gut that something was wrong and then one of my friends on the trip with me, found out what had happened, and he just spewed it out. Well, all of a sudden, on that trip, I just shot into such a dark place. Even after a long relationship, she would she and I would end up breaking up not too long after that. And guys, I was ripped to pieces. If you've been cheated on, you know. Um, in fact, even if you're one who's done the cheating, it, it messes with your understanding of faithfulness. And so... I followed the Lord after that, but there were weird seeds of distrust that had been planted in my spirit, and it was like a weed that had grown around my faith to where I trusted God, but not completely, because I had trusted this person, and they had hurt me. I'll never forget I meet Autumn. My wife, we've been married 15 years back in January. I meet Autumn, and in our first month, she schedules a trip to, of all places, Baltimore and New York City, and she's gonna be gone for two weeks. I'll never forget, it was the first time we were apart. We thought at that point we loved each other, but we hadn't said it, and all of a sudden she was leaving for two weeks, but the last time that I had been left by somebody, what had happened was something that really shook me. And I'll never forget having the conversation with her where I said, Autumn, I just don't know. And she goes, I'm going on this trip And she said, I understand that this is heavy baggage for you. But she said, I think I may love you and you just have to trust me. It's at that point I realized I had taken this grand piano of baggage and slammed it on top of her. And it was ruining, the baggage was ruining my future relationships with someone that I could really be with and have a life with. It was ruining my relationship with my immediate family because I was distrusting of them, as well it was ruining my friendships. And then it was ruining my relationship with Almighty God. It was destroying my understanding of the Holy Father. And so because of that, I have this awful, awful baggage that I'm placing on people that I finally had to decide God is worthy. He who has made us this promise, he is faithful. Even when we are faithless to him, he is still faithful to us. I dealt with it, and then the Lord allowed me to move forward. It was after she left that I knew I was truly in love with her and that she knew she was truly in love with me. It's another story for another day. Are you transferring that baggage onto God when the truth is maybe you need some counseling? Maybe you need some time of prayer. Maybe you just need to say to God, take it from me. Chop up this grand piano of sin. Let it be done so that I can move forward and be whole again. It begs the final question. Do you trust God enough to lean on your staff and worship? Do you trust God enough to lean on your staff and worship? If there's a problem with one of those areas, it might be time for you to let the Lord deal with some of that unaddressed, Sin, whether it was sin you fell into or sin done to you. I love you guys. Thanks for listening today. I told you, crazy little passage, huh? One that we never normally would have read or studied or spent the Sunday morning on, but the Lord had it maybe specifically for you today. Let's bow our heads for prayer. With every head bowed and every eye closed, nobody looking around but just me, we call this our time of reflection There's nothing mystical or magical about this time. But there is something powerful about considering the songs we've sung, the sermon we've heard, and specifically the scripture that we've read, and how we're different because of those things. With nobody looking around but just me, is there anyone here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? It's time I start regularly speaking God's promises. It's time that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart are pleasing to God and not stirring fear and worry in my heart and in the lives of those around me. With nobody looking but just me, if that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me, pray that I would speak of God's promises and not stir fear. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Thank you, thank you, that takes guts. Y'all can put your hands down, thank you. I'm gonna pray for you, but for you this is a prayer commitment. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Just pray that simple prayer. God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be pleasing to you. Second, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I've been trusting in my little arms and it's time I trust in the reach of Almighty God. I'm gonna do all I can, but I'm gonna trust that God will do the rest. If that's you, and you are making that commitment today, I just want to pray for you. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now. Ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you. Y'all can put your hands down. I love that for that commitment, we lift our little arm to God. If that's you, just pray this simple prayer. God, I trust your reach and not my own. God, I trust your reach and not my own. And then last but not least, maybe there are some of you here that would say, Zach, would you pray for me? I need rest and I need to be able to worship. If that's you, and you'd say, Zach, pray for me. I need to rest and I need to be able to worship. If that's you, if you would just lift your hand where you are right now, ready, set, go. Thank you. Thank you so many of you. Y'all can put your hands down. I've been where you are. Trust him. Your prayer is very, very simple. Just pray, God, I trust you. God, I trust you as best I can. I'm going to pray for us and then we'll stand. Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you so much for the story of Joseph and ultimately the story of Jacob. And Lord, we thank you for the way that you've been teaching us from it. Lord, I pray in the name of Jesus Christ for those who are here claiming that Lord, they will speak of your promises regularly. I pray that you would help them to make that exchange of faith to those around them. And Lord, that as they speak of your goodness, that it would strengthen their spirit. Lord, I also pray for those who are trusting in your reach. I pray that you would hold them up with your righteous right hand. And Lord, that we would remember we do the very best we can, but ultimately you are the one who is guiding the ship. Help us to trust you to do the rest. And God, I pray also for those who are here today in need of rest and peace. Give them what they seek, Father. I ask that in the name of Jesus Christ.